Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Fettles, and I want to welcome everyone in the audience today and thank you for taking time to be with us as we give you a window into one city that's totally buzzing with Gigabit Fever. Uh, Gigabit Nation's here to provide useful information and insights to help communities, companies, and nonprofit organizations get more and better broadband to everywhere it needs to be in America. Now, these days, when you say gigabit network, several cities come to mind. There's Santa Monica, California, and Wilson, North Carolina. Of course, there's Chattanooga, Tennessee. They've been very much out front with this whole gigabit network uh, you know, awareness, making people aware of what they're doing there. And then there are the two Kansas cities, Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri. But when you say Google gigabit, now, no matter how you slice it, there's a, you can only be talking about Kansas City. And so today, our guest is Kansas City, Kansas Mayor Joe Reardon. Uh, Mayor, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming online with us today. Thank you very much, Craig. It's good to be with you online today. Great. Now, several several months ago, I'm pretty sure most of our audience knows, Kansas City was named the recipient of Google Gigabit's, uh, the Google Gigabit Network Award. And then soon after that, uh, Google followed up by naming uh, or announcing that Kansas City, Missouri would also be receiving um, a gig uh, network. And I'm sure that there are many very happy campers in Kansas City that are looking forward to having this awesome technology. And so, Mayor, now that you have the network in the works and things are moving forward, what's what's going on in Kansas City? What are folks doing to get ready uh, for this network? I think it's unleashed a lot of... Uh creativity and, and a lot of innovation and uh we've seen this happen in a very kind of grassroots way um all over the Kansas City region you know businesses kind of collaborating together uh folks in uh social media clubs getting together and and so all of that energy an amazing amount of energy around this has really started to flourish um particularly now as we sort of start to enter enter into you know installation in, in the in next year and then, the, you know, Mayor James in Kansas City, Missouri, and myself, um, after the announcements were made, felt pretty passionate about, you know, trying to bring together thoughtful, good folks from this uh, Kansas City region. And as you mentioned, Kansas City um, spans the region, spans a state line. And uh, so we're on the Kansas side, and uh, Kansas City, Missouri is on the, on the Missouri side, of course. And Mayor James and I uh, created a bi-state innovations team. And the idea behind this was really to get thoughtful people from both states to say, you know, if if we have an opportunity for a gigabit infrastructure, um, how do we start to align, you know, not just what individual cities are doing, but a bi-state, more regional approach um, to maximizing the benefits of this infrastructure. And um, so that's been a rewarding experience, and that group is meeting on a regular basis. And we've asked for them their task, um, their first task, is to develop what, what um, I term the playbook um, for the two cities. How can the two cities work together in ways perhaps they haven't before to unleash innovation and um, further opportunities um, to expand and grow Kansas City as a region, not just as individual cities? So mm-hmm. it's an exciting opportunity to think about and think about things that we haven't thought about perhaps in the same way before and, and develop strategies that reach beyond our own um, constituent boundaries. 
Okay. Well, we're definitely going to, I'm going to want to come back to this discussion of, um, you know, two cities working together and what does that mean to, to have a regional approach. One thing, the, the question has been on my mind and maybe some other folks as well is um, the, the need. I mean, when people think about uh, broadband these days and where a lot of effort and money is going, you know, it's going to uh, a lot of rural areas. But even though there are rural areas, obviously, around Kansas City, the Kansas City community, yours is a fairly urban city, you know, a decent-sized urban city. So what was the broadband need there that inspired everyone to work so hard to get the, the Google network? I mean, were services considered overpriced, low quality? I mean, what was, what was the driving factor there? Well, I think, you know, if you, if you went out and talked to our citizens, you'd have a range of uh, comments to that, you know, along the lines of what you've just said. And I think that you know what we continue to uh, stay focused on, and we we're we're, for, we're fortunate in Kansas City, Kansas, that uh, we have a municipal um, electric utility um, that is a generator of electricity and also owns all the infrastructure. And so we had for several years, with in partnership with our municipal utility, looked at um, broadband deployment um, as a as a real opportunity to expand service quality of service access. Um, even in our urban environment, you know, there's not everywhere in our city that has the kind of robust access that, you know, some of your listeners may take for granted even today. And so those things have certainly been on, on our mind for quite some time. And I think that, uh, obviously, that that thoughtfulness that we had been sort of developing over the course of the last several years, which I don't think is unique to us, so many, I mean, when you 1,100 cities apply uh, for the opportunity to have Google install a gig uh, infrastructure, it's it's on cities' minds because cities get the idea um, that this is kind of the fundamental kind of infrastructure that that the economy and that our citizens ultimately are going to demand and require for cities to have the quality of life and for cities to to thrive in what is a global economy. And so we have all of that um, um, thoughtfulness um, in in uh, moving forward with with this opportunity as well. And you know, there's some. I, I, I'll say this. I I've talked to probably, I don't know, somewhere around 50 neighborhoods, civic and other groups throughout Kansas City, Kansas, um, about um, ultra-high-speed fiber and uh, the need for it. And one of the best ways, as you know, Craig, to talk about the need for it is to talk about sort of the progression that we've seen in what it means to move data at faster speeds in our own lives. And so I've got this great slide that I have in a slideshow deck of an old cable box. And so, you know, I remember I was the advocate in my house um, to get cable <laughs> installed, right? You know, as a kid, and I bugged my parents forever, and we finally got it. And my dad got home that night, and, you know, the, there's that cable, that, you know, brown wood cable box sitting there, 37 channels of television. And I remember, like it was yesterday, my dad turning to me and saying, there's no one under God's green earth that needs 37 channels of television. <laughs> you know? Right? And that was very real. Yeah. And fast forward to today, and you know, probably in your pocket, certainly in mine and most of the people that listen to this, we think nothing of the idea that you can pull a, a phone, it's not really even a phone, a computer out of your pocket and stream video um, to, to your place where you are. That's kind of Star Trek kind of stuff if you think about it. We're almost taking it for granted at this point. I think we are in a way. And none of that happens, that progression that I just explained, except if the speed in which we can move data becomes faster and faster, and 
it becomes pervasive. In other words, it's accessible in more places. And I think of it the same way with, you know, a gig access fiber to the home. It's the same idea. It's that, you know, once you take away some of these barriers around how much you can push through the infrastructure and how widespread you can make the infrastructure, then you really start to unleash a process that, if we just look at our past, can take you to things that you probably didn't expect were going to occur. And that, I think, is the opportunity that, you know, most cities get when they look at infrastructure. And and I think most cities approach this as an infrastructure play first and foremost. And Mm -hmm. so we were fortunate enough to participate in that application process as so many of our other sister cities across the country were as well. So it's basically looking at um, the future. I mean, it's a future play, as, as, as in we, we've got enough that can solve our need for the time being, but we're looking at we, you know where are we going to be in five years and ten years, and this infrastructure is sort of, I guess you would consider, or the you know, citizens would consider, a foundation for the future. Yeah, so I think that that's right. I, I guess the only thing that's on my mind there, and you know, I think this is a fun thing to talk about, is the need for you know, faster rates of speed uh, becomes increased. The, the, the time frame in which you need that, which you require it, seems to be more and more compressed than my example of going from 37 channels of television and all the time it took now to get to a handheld device that streams video. I'll give you an example. Um, and, and this has to do with, you know, the pervasiveness of it and then the, the affordability and, and ability to access higher speeds of data. Most citizens in my community and across the country now, an overwhelming majority, when they take photos, they're not taking them on film any longer, and that revolution has you know, have widespread adoption. Well, if you're like me, when I just did this last week, my kids were at an event, I took pictures at the event, I stuck my flash media card in, in my um, laptop, and my desire was to upload all those photos onto an online site. Um, I use Picasso. There's all kinds of them. You know that. And it took forever. You know, if I take 50 photos and I want to upload, and I'm, I'm you know, this isn't dial-up, the, the amount of data I'm pushing through today in a real practical way around my family photos is such that it becomes more and more frustrating uh, that I can't more in more real time upload that data um, to that service and manipulate it. So I think this need for speed um, is it's absolutely a future play when we talk about a gig of speed. But the need for increasing uh, speed today is, I think, very real um, in the ways that we are already interacting with the devices we use in our life on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. So now, thinking about this uh, this need, now you're not the only city, obviously, that has this need. How does a city push itself above everyone else in making its case, you know, because there are possibly other businesses that might be interested in doing what Google's doing, maybe smaller businesses, maybe they have a different focus, but they can see where, you know, their name on a network like this makes a lot of sense. How, from the city perspective, do you raise uh, that need up and make yourself a, a, a welcome target for these potential partners, especially since, uh, as I remember, you didn't jump in any, into any shark tanks. You didn't jump into the lake in the middle of the winter. Right, You know, right. Like some of the other uh, of your, your co-compatriots did. You know, how, how do you make yourself stand out and be considered a worthy partner? Well, I, you know, I, I, um, I think there's a couple things that are on my mind as you ask that question. But, um, you know, first and foremost, I would say that I'm hopeful that 
the the projects that have gone on to date in this Google project, you know, open up um, other um, businesses and providers to the idea that cities can be good public partners in a public-private partnership to move forward in this kind of infrastructure. I think one of the things that, and you know, you've written about this, Craig, but one of the things that um, is certainly on my mind is, you know, how do cities? I don't know if if cities of my size and smaller. You know, all of us have the the scale and the financial wherewithal on our own to install, you know, a fiber to the home networks um, successfully. It's a very, you know, it's a costly thing, and cities have priorities and they're trying to figure their ways through them. So I love this model of a public-private partnership of trying to find a private partner that has a business case to make, but that can be at the table with you, where we find an advantage to the public and a business prospect for the private business as well. And so the Google process, we treated very much like that. And, you know, we're, we're proud in our city of, uh, we think we have a really good track record of public-private partnerships where we're able to bring to the table, you know, the assets that the city has available to, to get to move forward with a benefit, um, and then finding a private partner that sees a real business opportunity. And I guess I would say that our experience here has been very similar to the other public-private partnerships we've been involved in, and that was we focused on our fundamentals, you know, an ability to act as a real partner, to get um, a private business from the beginning of a process to the finish line to the point where they're actually doing business, that, you know, we focus in a very intense way on making sure that we understand the needs of that private partner and they understand ours and that we, we treat it as a partnership, you know, where we're working together and um, – and we just we focused on our fundamentals. What makes us a unique city? What do we think is good about us? And that's what we brought to the table in in this opportunity as well. And uh, we found a willing partner that saw a, a a business and real opportunity here. And I, you know, my hope is is they saw an organization in a community that was ready to work with them, um, not against them, or swim against the tide, or put them into a, a regulatory trap or that sort of thing. And and I think most cities are that way. I mean, cities are really good and practical about what we do, but we're we're pretty proud of the track record we have around that. Right. And uh, I had a conversation with um, uh, one of the folks from your uh, – or from the economic development uh, group, and I'm yeah. having a brain freeze. I'm forgetting his name. But we, we talked about, you know, the, the, the emphasis on the economic impact and also the, the, the how you guys are ready to move forward because you've done these kinds of partnerships before, and that, was, that seemed to be very helpful in, in making the case. Yes, I think there's no doubt about it. And, you know, when we talk, you know, we, we again, our our approach when we began our dialogue with Google was to treat this as a public-private partnership. And I think one of our strengths was we had a track record and we could bring private partners to the table that had worked with us on their projects. Those projects are reality for them and they're highly successful. Mm-hmm. And we certainly put that on the table as part of what we had to offer to a company like Google and trying to move forward here. I mean, right. I, you know, I think, I mean, I, I don't know what what more of a persuasive thing that, that you can do is if you can show what you, you know, have a track record and show it to someone and let it sort of speak for itself in some ways. Mm-hmm. So now, um, what other types of businesses or industries where cities might want to go hunting to find, maybe not a Google per se, because Google is pretty huge and massive, but, you know, are there other types of 
business. Like for example, Corning, um, which people don't yep. really think about as being in this space exactly, but they provide fiber. I mean, they provide probably you know most of it that's out there. And they announced right about the time that Google was announcing the Kansas City relationship, um, Corning was announcing that they were building a network for a three-county area in which uh, one of those counties their corporate headquarters is based. And so they made the case based on, you know, the benefit to them as a company and their employees and so forth. Do you see other companies or, or maybe like categories of companies that might make for good partners? Yeah, well, I think anybody involved in in broadband, whether from the manufacturing side or, you know, some of the smaller folks that are out there doing this work now make good candidates. And let let me offer what I think, you know, you know maybe a structure that is beneficial here. Uh, it just kind of as an idea. So one of the things that uh, you know Mayor James and I have talked about here in Kansas City um, is that instinctively, for cities, when we think about development, um, we are always looking at that development as something that you know makes us unique, of course, and that carries a, a unique advantage for us. And uh, so obviously, at this stage in the game, you know, one of the great things is we can talk about the uniqueness of this relationship that we have with Google and the fiber installation fiber to the home. But what's interesting about the success of this project, in my mind, and very different from the way our development projects have gone in the past, is the, the only way that Google Fiber is ultimately successful, both for them and for the Kansas cities, is if we see wider spread deployment of gigabit kind of infrastructure in the United States. Mm-hmm. When, when you start to get to the same idea of getting to scale in Kansas City, has to play itself out in other cities as well to really um, um, see the full potential or benefit of this um, kind of technology, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, this would be a perfect opportunity for cities through like the National League of Cities or U.S. Conference of Mayors to bring some of those private, you know, bring Corning to the table, bring um, other providers to the table and say, is there a way that we can start to set out a framework for you as a private business, you know, that would benefit greatly from this to be to become a partner with cities, with multiple cities in deployment, where it's a business opportunity for you, and it's an opportunity for the cities to better their their own communities. I I think that this because you have to scale this thing, so it's in the best interest of the Kansas cities and Chattanooga and everyone else. At the end of the day, we want to see this kind of deployment everywhere, and I think bringing businesses to the table that could be natural partners in a more holistic way, not just one-off city by city, but one, maybe through one of some of our own institutions and say, let's have a dialogue about this. You know, is there something that we can do to set out the basis of a framework so that cities can start to interact with you? That would be kind of interesting, and I think it yeah, might be exciting to, to explore. Right, and I think that, uh, you know, you're right, that the, the one-off approach, there are a lot of one-off projects in place. I mean, and with the broadband stimulus, a lot more of them got started because everyone thought for, you know, at least for some period of time that they would be, you know, eligible for that 5 or $6, 7000000000 billion pot. But, you know, I don't know if we're seeing enough of the, uh, the, the municipal organizations, the county organizations, you know, sort of as a group say, look, let's bring a bunch of these types of folks to the yeah. tables. I think it's good to get that, that out there that this is a possibility. Yeah, I think that would be fun. And and by the way, I mean, we're, you know, we're big believers in, you know, trying to find private dollars to leverage public investment. But, you know, if you started to do that in a more holistic way, um, Mm -hmm. then, you know, I think you can change the dialogue with the federal government and come to them and say, 
look, you need to be a partner here. And by the way, you know, for every dollar that you put in here, you're leveraging private investment in this infrastructure. This isn't simply, you know, a government investment of dollars. This is really, you know, leveraging private dollars to, to expand access. And that's, you know, if you, if you can start to form partnerships like that, the power with which you can start to, I think, navigate um, a broader strategy for federal involvement, you know, uh, could be exciting. Um, and, you know, it, it certainly would change the dialogue, at least from my perspective about how how um, some of our interactions with the federal government go now on a broad, not just on this, on a, you know, in a, in a broader sweep of, of right. issues. It's kind of rethinking how we do what we do. Which yeah. Which is very difficult because, you know, I've been, I made more trips to Washington related to broadband issues than I have combined, you know, in all the years previous in business. And it's a different yeah. world there. And yeah. trying to get people's attention and bringing in new ideas is a real is a real challenge. But yeah, this, uh, we maybe must go on. So let's talk. Uh, let's talk about shift the discussion a little bit. Um, assume I'm a, a mayor of a city similar size to Kansas City, and I call up one day and say, "Look, you know, we are thinking about uh, going forward with some sort of broadband project. How do I get?" our people's attention when they have so much other stuff on their mind and how do I get them engaged because broadband isn't a topic that everybody can go oh I understand fully what it, what broadband is and what it does what would your advice be to that that mayor that city official to try to engage their constituents in the the whole movement for new new infrastructure well i i the first thing i would say is if if you if you, if you believe it's a priority uh, then you you need to own the priority so you know in and, and uh, mayor sit in a unique position that if if we want to we can own issues and if you're willing to own the issue you're the best person to go out there and engage the public and you you need to do it at every level uh you certainly need to do it in a very direct way and get people to think and you know my experience has been that if you go out to a community group and you start to talk about what their experiences are today with respect to tech, the use of technology and the use of access um, to data from their home or from work, um, you can get people to think um, about what this, the implications of this and the significance of it. And um, I talked to, to some, a group where we had a whole range of folks in there, including um, some of our senior citizens, and we, we talked a little bit about you know how this how you know already access to the internet even if you don't use it changes things so you know we're not much different than many other cities but there are not a whole lot of video stores around the corner to go rent a a video anymore and you know in my conversations with folks if, if you kind of start to think about that you know you start to understand that it, you know it's the ability to access um you know that kind of data video data uh closer to home that's changing even if you don't do it yourself it's changing the way you have to go consume it. And uh, I think when you start to talk about what practically what's happening to people today around technology and data, they start to understand what this, the implications of it is for the future. So I think direct interaction with your citizens is very important. And then secondly, you have everyone, every city has natural constituencies that get it, that can become your best advocates, particularly if the mayor says it's a priority. So, you know, your educational institutions get it. They can be advocates for you. You know, those that are involved in technology today get it. They become advocates for you. You know, your library system gets it. And if you're in a leadership role and say it's a priority and, I, you know, I need your help, um, they can become advocates for you. So it really is. It's, it's community building 101. 
but it's taking an idea that people, it's not, you're right, you know, for most of your citizens, this isn't top of mind stuff. But it is interesting enough, and it's already affecting them enough, that if you have this dialogue, you'll start to get them, my experience has been, you'll start to get them to think larger about what this means. Mm -hmm. So in many respects, it is a, um, in the early days, a, a certain level of evangelism among people who can help lead the charge. So not yes. just, you know, but but folks who have a relationship already with the community, so they already speak the language that the, you know, for, for example, the library patrons, I mean, they can speak in a language that it resonates with library uh, patrons. The Correct. same as, you know, the university, the academic community can speak in a language that resonates with the academic communities. And you just That's roll exactly these folks right. together and you keep moving them forward and... And there are, you know what, you, you've, I'm sure that you've seen this. There are already advocates for this in probably all those institutions in your own city. Mm -hmm. um, what needs to, you know, what, what I think the, the element that needs to be there is, is that leadership says, you know, that's not within that institution. We need to focus on this. This is important to our future. Let's start talking about it. Let's start getting people to think about it. And you start to align those things together. And, uh, and I think that there's a great opportunity for that kind of dialogue. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you manage expectations? Because there's um, the one uh, side is you want to get them engaged, but then at a certain right. point, uh, what we saw in 2005 and 2006 was a lot of city officials that overhyped the value of, say, Muni Wireless, Muni Wi-Fi, and they gave us yeah. magical powers that the technology was definitely not capable of fulfilling. Right. How do you kind of rein in some of the enthusiasm? Like, what essence manage expectations? Not even just reining in, but just managing the expectation. Yeah, I think mayors have good skills there. I mean, you know, we, part of it's just kind of gut instinct as to how you approach. But I think what's interesting, um, you, you know, if you talk about gigabit access, is that, and I think we've seen this play itself out. It's so much faster than what's available to most people today. That it's you know it's awful it's awful hard to sometimes even articulate the range of ultimate possibilities and I guess that's the danger in it is is that you know you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself in talking about what this might be and uh, so really in my kinds of dialogues I've had um, I've just asked people to think about where they've been and where they are today and what those next steps might mean and I think you can get to that place where people are thinking big. But that you're not putting, you're not make, out there making some overt promise that, you know, X, Y, or Z is going to miraculously occur, um, you know, when you get fiber to the home. Um, and so I think talking about a range of possibilities and the experience that that one's had in in, a, in his or her own life, you know, can kind of give you a framework where you're not um, overcommitting uh, conceptually to what this, you know, may mean, you know, from a practical standpoint at your house. Mm -hmm. But so, but it's a careful balance. I, I will confess to you, it's a careful balance, particularly when you're, you know, talking about a gig of access. So, right, it's just it's it, it is magic to some people, and it's uh, <clears throat> it's a little hard to to kind of keep it together. Now, moving say to the next step. So, and, and you talked earlier about you know a regional approach because you have different cities that have, you know, visions for what they can do with uh, with a gigabit network. And now that both Kansas City, Missouri, and Kansas City, Kansas have uh, a project clearly in place and it's high profile, now you have a bunch of, you know, bubbling uh, energy yeah. centers. Um, how, would you, how would you envision 
tying together a regional effort? Do you guys in in the two Kansas cities build the, the consider it the foundation that you build, and then others can somehow tap into that? Or how do you, how do you see pulling a region together? Well, I think you know we start you know sort of a practical approach. We start with the two cities in the region that are going to you know receive the installation at this point, and of course we have numerous cities you know large cities that are here in this Kansas City region as well that you know aren't part of at least an initial deployment, and ultimately that that dialogue and 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 I think that there's a level of interest to expand fiber to the home connectivity throughout the region. So I think that's natu- that dialogue's naturally happening. And the Bi-State Innovations team is a place where we're, you know, trying to think through that. Now, what I will say is, is that um, I think uh, one of the things in Kansas City, and perhaps it's, it's somewhat unique to us, is, you know, we have the state line that literally goes down through the center of our city, mm-hmm. or region, I should say. And um, so in from a governmental perspective, you know, we've been very much um, institutionally here in Kansas City um, always thinking about, and naturally so, the the city that we serve, or or the county that we're elected to, or whatever in whichever state it is, um, and yet our citizens and businesses, um, although they know where they live and they know where they pay taxes, um, their lives cross these lines every day. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's from you know just the practical day to day life of an individual. Or the business itself. The business relies on individuals and other um, economic activity occurring throughout the region. So the interesting and fun thing about the Bi-State Innovations team is we realize that this infrastructure tool is significant enough that there are benefits that will cross these state lines and ultimately cross city lines in ways that if we if we develop strategies that are larger than just our the constituent area that we serve as electeds, the benefits may end up being bigger for us than if we just focus narrowly on where we are. And this is new thinking for us in, in Kansas City. And uh, what, what's exciting is is that you know, you've got two elected leaders that have said, this is now a priority. And we've got a business community that agrees as well, that we ought to focus regionally. And you know, maybe that means from an economic development perspective that we're going to be able to attract investment um, in a bi-state way around, you know, technology in ways that we haven't before. Maybe it means that we develop a strategy around growing small business that is not tied to one city particularly, but is really a regional kind of effort in cooperation with the Kauffman Foundation and others to really start to take innovation to the next level. Maybe it's a way that we take our educational institutions and tie the best learning across state lines and city lines to different you know, places um, of education throughout our region and tie our young people together uh, to get the best benefits through using this infrastructure. That's the kind of thinking that, um, that you know, we're, we're starting to do with the Bi-State Innovations team. And I think there's a huge upside to it. And clearly, if you look at um, the way that cities operate and the way that this, this happens globally, we compete um, beyond our own borders in regional ways, you know, the Kansas City region is not just Kansas City, Missouri, or certainly not just Kansas City, Kansas. It's this two million plus region that is engulfs dozens of cities in two states. In the same way that if you looked at almost any other part of our country, you would see the same thing. And if you look across the world, you would see much the same dynamic. We need to start being strategic 
about regional approaches, and this kind of infrastructure allows us an amazing platform to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk serious blue sky here. I know this is beyond yep. the scope of, of Kansas City per se, but I was just reading uh, the other day in the uh, December issue of Discover Magazine, and they brought a bunch of people together talking about water resources and managing water resources. And the topic of the Colorado Compact came up. And so what happened was in 92, uh, seven states entered into a compact because they all shared the Colorado River. And so they basically agreed to, as much as they could, come together with unified efforts to maximize, you know, protect, enhance the water supply that they all tap into because it all it touched all of all of their states, which is when you look at it is is huge as a concept, you know, it's but but with with all these various projects that we have going on, like for example, on Thursday I'm gonna be at the uh, Missouri uh, Broadband Summit, uh, where they're talking about their statewide initiative, which covers some h- hundreds of miles of territory. And various other states have, thanks to the stimulus, these projects that are, in, in, that are, that are enabling um, hundreds of miles per state of fiber infrastructure come into place. Could you see a day when uh, maybe seven or six states would tap into a similar infrastructure and in essence, you know, improve each other's state's operations and constituents as part of a like a regional a state region yeah. as opposed to yeah. a county region. Uh it's wonderful thinking. I'm not an expert on the ways of um how, you know, states work with respect to this, but it certainly is an amazing leverage that would occur if states were able to get together in that way. And uh you, you and I think that that's what what I, I I'll just relate it to the region here as well. I mean, you know, certainly is on my mind that as we build out this infrastructure, it would be um, it wouldn't be very smart or strategic for us to not think about how um, other cities in the region might tap into that to the, into the fundamentals of this infrastructure to to further spread the wide the, the um, fiber to the home effort. So. And I think I mean, quite frankly, I think our citizens want us to think that strategic. Um, I think it's something that um, needs to occur. So yes, I definitely could see that, and uh, you know, um, I would be hopeful that that would occur as the awareness of um, the essential um, function of um, of ultra high speed fiber, you know, grows. Because I think if you don't get to a certain scale, it's very difficult, even for you know, for large cities as well as for states to fully shoulder the cost of this infrastructure in and of themselves. We need partners. Yes, I agree, because, you know, I've been fighting this uh, this awareness, you know, trying to get people aware of these kinds of issues of of coming together and, and taking advantage of it. And so, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, obviously it is a huge chunk to envision, but at some point people, I think, need to – begin somewhere. I mean, you got to take that first step at some point. That's right. That's and right. Maybe it's the maybe it will be the regional efforts that will lead to this kind of a, you know, sort of that state vision or multi-state vision. And in fact, in um where is it? Vermont and Maine uh and I think New Hampshire, uh there are people in each one of those states that are trying to nudge you know the, the, their respective counterparts together because they share similar issues. They share to similar terrain. 
uh, similar politics and all the rest of it. And they said, well, you know, we're all out here, so we may as well see if we can take this to the next higher level and do some sort of state regional uh, affair. Yeah, so, yeah. Now, looking at uh, applications, because you know any network that you build is only as effective as the applications that are on it. You know, there's a couple of there's a couple areas in this uh, that I want to kind of look at. One is, um, in your way of thinking, uh, what are ways that governments can use these networks to streamline the business of local government? Yeah. So let, let me uh, start with something that is on my mind that's kind of fun. And and I think that what what happens let, let me start with this premise. What what happens if you can do widespread deployment of fiber to the home at faster speeds, then you take away what what it naturally has been an issue I think at least in my mind when I look at government offering alternative methods of interacting with government, we always on our mind is an equity issue. Well, if we put you know, and, and this is a different issue than businesses have. If we say uh, to our citizens that the only way you can get a business license is through our web portal, then I'm going to have thoughtful people come to the table, and I'm going to be one of them saying, well, wait a second. Not all my citizens have access to an Internet connection, either at home or somewhere close to their home. How can we expect them to interact with us that way? Well, and so it, it acts as a barrier for us to fully utilize technology um, to, sol to solve problems. Now, that's not the same for some business. I mean, you know, it, it's you know, I hear this all the time from folks. Hey, you know, the only way I can apply for a job is I, I've got to go to their website and submit an electronic application. And so, you know, business has set out the expectation, many businesses, that you know, one of the ways that you have to do business with them um, is is through the internet. If you start to deploy um, fiber to the home widespread, then the equity issue lessens, and you can really unleash more innovation um, to start to deal with issues. Now, the, the fun part of this is is that there are already some tools out there that I want to implement to really start to – I think one of the things on my mind is access to government, just access to us. It's um, kind of foreign for most people to think of. Of you know what they're you know what I, I, to myself included, you know what what is your interaction with state government? What's your interaction with local government? You know, I guess if you get a parking ticket in Kansas City, Kansas, you're going to interact with us. You know, or if you have or you know if you have to or if you have to get a permit or something, you know, a garage sale permit, you interact with us. But do you really know what's going on here at City Hall? Mm -hmm. So we send out an e-newsletter. We use Constant Contact. We do all those things, but. If we had really good internet connectivity and fairly widespread, then you could start to use, you know, something like Google Plus to do a hangout with an entire neighborhood group and the mayor and a couple of elected officials. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't that be an interesting and new way to start to talk about what's going on in a corner of the community in a real active and interactive dialogue way? So those are I'm very much from the mayor's office focused not just on how can I practically um, you know, solve issues with technology if we get widespread fiber and, you know, my code officers can do a better job out in the field. Those are important. But I'm very much interested, how can our citizens interact with us in a more real-time dynamic way? With us, per I mean, to the point of with us personally, not just sending us an email, but let's have an ongoing dialogue. And I think government becomes better when you do that. And so that I'm really looking forward to tapping into that kind of um, opportunity. And some, some of these tools 
already are floating out there and exist. They just we haven't been able to marshal them to get, to get deep down into our community. Um, and I think that's part of the opportunity that's offered here. Mm-hmm. So in some respects, you look at it as a way to change behavior in. Uh, how people then start to to deal with their day to day lives as in in one respect. I think that's absolutely right, and I think technology is at its best when, in my opinion, when it changes people's day to day lives for the better. And so I just you know what you know one other example that I that that certainly um, would be on my mind is is that you know if you're if you move to widespread deployment of this, of this fiber infrastructure um, in cities, then you solve a problem that a lot of cities have today. So let me give you an example of, of what I mean. And this is sort of you know historical example. So when I was growing up in Kansas City, Kansas, um, when, when I got up in the morning, there was a morning newspaper. It was fairly thick. And then in the afternoon, when I got home, there was the evening Kansas City Star. It still exists. The morning paper doesn't. And then there was in our city, because, you know, we're Kansas City, Kansas. Kansas City stars in Kansas City, Missouri, but it was the big daily. Um, right. But we had we had a daily, too. We had the Kansas City, Kansas. came to our um, house every day, too. Every day, seven days a week, three different papers, dozens of reporters, you know, all over our city trying to tell the stories that's going on in the city. If you fast forward to today, we have one daily newspaper, the Kansas City Star. Our local paper is an online blog post, which is good, but it's not – delivered to every house practically in our town. And the amount of reporters paying attention to what's going on is lower now than ever. Now, contrast that to the fact, Craig, that there's probably access to more information out there in the world at most of my citizens' fingertips, and may have to go to the library to get it, than they've ever had before. So one of the things that technology and widespread fiber-to-the-home technology can allow us to do, I think, is become more localized in what's going on around us, whether it's in the neighborhood or in this town or in the city, and there's a lack of that kind of information and connectivity in my community today, and I suspect it's going on in other places too. And it's almost like, I would say it's almost like Groupon for cities, Mm -hmm. right? It's the idea of taking the massive amount of technology and information and data we have and then terribly localizing it to the point where we get engagement on a whole new level. Right. Um, and our cities suffer because that engagement, um, that level of engagement is not there um, today as it was in the past, and uh, that the information is not um, as accessible to them as it has been in the past, amazingly so. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that's uh, happening um, with uh, several of these gigabit networks, if I go to uh, Santa Monica, they've created um, – Free Wi-Fi zones in in various parts of the city, heavily in the retail areas, and that draws people in because people can go sit outside and so forth, and they can you know access the the web, and they've even tracked down and figured out that um, you know a lot of the business people, like people who are doing software development and that kind of stuff, like the wireless network because it allows them to be anywhere in the city at any given time, at the beach or at the you know cafe or whatever. Um, in Chattanooga, they have a wireless network, citywide wireless network on, attached to their, their, their fiber network that enables all of the mobile government workers to have access while they're out doing their jobs. Do you see uh, a point when maybe um, this 
fiber network in Kansas City will have a wireless component, either to look at it in you know in sort of the zone area kind of approach, or maybe it's used by governments, or maybe it's used by the entire citizenry. But do you see wireless being a, a part of the equation at some point? Yeah, I mean, from a deployment standpoint at this point, you know, that's a question that's you know probably a good one to ask Google where they are in their thinking at, a, at an initial point. But from my perspective, certainly we would think that ultimately some you know Wi-Fi kind of deployment um, makes good sense. And in fact, our citizens are already telling us they're interested in it. So I had this great one that bubbled up just this week. Um, is uh, you know somebody had the concept of we should have Wi-Fi zones in every one of our parks, just along what you were talking about um, in Santa Monica, I think. And you know the concept there being you know that the maybe the parents come with the young kids to the park and access is available there. It becomes you know part of a quality of life um, thing. And so yeah, we're I think that that thinking exists there, and I think that that's um, an opportunity that will present itself. Um, certainly, the opportunity for government work to become more efficient and more real time um is very important you know we we have field workers right now that are that are collecting data and don't have the most robust connectivity out in the field that they could use in order to interact with data um around what the the work they're doing in the field and i there's a huge upside to all of that and so i would think that that opportunity presents itself in a multitude of ways as you've described um um you know in the future mhm so now, uh, expanding the discussion a little bit even further afield, uh, and we hinted a little bit about this. I attended a session or a conference a few days ago, um, <clears throat> Gigom Roadmap, and at one point, the the founder of Twitter was on uh, on stage and having a discussion with uh, Om Malik about uh you know how Twitter came to be and basically the inspiration for that was um they they had noticed or someone had noticed that uh emergency response personnel when they're doing what they do they rely on incredibly short messages that in, that have to include all the details right cuz you yeah. got to get that burst out you got to know where you got to go you got to know what the the situation is that you're dealing with and they 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 went from that concept to trying to get a lot of information compact into short messages into a concept that became you know what what twitter is you know an avalanche of of short messages but the the point of of this is you know we often look for the big thing we look for the next Facebook and the next uh, whatever, and sometimes I wonder in in our pursuit of the big thing and our expectation of it, which I think is what a, what was a, the point of a, an article in, in in the Kansas City Star a few days ago was you know we're looking for all these great things but we don't see it we see a lot of ideas but we don't see that great thing. Does the great does, does the pursuit of the great kind of get us in trouble when maybe we should be looking at the smaller things? Yeah, it's a it's a good it's a it's a great perspective. When you're talking about this, I'll, I'll tell you where, um, you know, where maybe the small thing or the more practical thing is um, very impactful. So I'll give you an example that um, the first time I had had this experience. So I have two young kids. Two winters ago, it's January. Um, I took them up to Chicago. There's great museums in Chicago, as you know, and I wanted to have that experience. So we spent a weekend in Chicago, and we decided we were going to take public transportation everywhere. Well, it's January in Chicago, right? <laughs> and so what I found was, you know, that that, and actually I think as a 
Hello, I think we have uh, lost our connection here for a second. Uh, please stay with us in the audience, and uh, we will reconnect with uh, Mayor Reardon. Craig? Yes. Hi, let uh, me put you back in. Okay. West, among the top ten economic developers. Hello? Mayor Reardon. Yes. Sorry about that. Somehow I uh, lost you for a Another. second, but we're back now. We're good. Okay, great. Yeah, All fantastic. Right. So you started talking so, about your kids in Chicago. Yeah, so yeah, I'm in Chicago with my kids. Uh, you know, I was going to work my a kid uh, conversation or kid story into our conversation today. But uh, <laughs> so the the thing that I found um, on my phone was an app, a third party app that took the um, GPS data from the Chicago bus system and served it up on an app to tell you. Um, specifically, where the, the, at the stop you were at, you know how far away, real time, the next bus was. Now that was in it's January in Chicago. It was invaluable because you could hang out in the Starbucks with your kids so they're not freezing to death and complaining <laughs> until one minute before the bus rolls up, right? Right. And so th- that's not um, earth-shattering technology um, in today's day and age, um, but it was a clever use of technology and it was impactful. And um, I do think that you know you you know as you start to do an installation of a gig of speed um, in fiber to the home, I think you know the practical maybe small ones are going to can be sometimes the most impactful ones to your citizens out of the box. And uh, so I, I think your perspective is a really good one. And I, I tell that story about this app you know everywhere I go practically because it's just taking what's available out there today um, and um, Newer technology, I mean, quite frankly, you couldn't do that a couple of years ago, but it's taking advantage of the technology that's there today and and offering a very practical um, kind of a solution that impacts people in their daily lives every day. Again, I think that you know, technology is at its best when it positively impacts people in their daily life. So th- that's a very practical one that's not a big one, and um, I think we'll, I think we're going to see a lot of those kinds of things. Right, and in fact, uh, last week... Uh, the brain zooming group and what is it, the social um, media mm-hmm. social media yeah, yep. club of Kansas City yep. uh, together released a uh, report on the day long brainstorming session that uh, yeah, a lot report. of stakeholders participated in. Yeah, yep. And wh- what was interesting in looking through the the list of ideas is that um, on the first blush they were all. A lot of them were fairly pedestrian, and what I mean by pedestrian was they were the things you just automatically go, oh, well, that makes sense, and that's no yeah. big deal, and, and so forth. But when you think about it in the context of the network, when you think about it in context of social media, and you think about all the ways that people are connected, the little things start to um, to matter quite a bit. And, yeah. and the, you know, I think that becomes part of, and you can tell me, but I think it becomes part of the manage the expectation management task, is that yeah. you've got to continually show people, yes, we're all, we're looking at these things that are kind of every day, but but imagine, and then you kind of take it and finish the sentence for them, and then maybe that makes it a little easier for them to understand. Oh, that's why we want to do this. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's exactly right, and you know, so, and sometimes it's the the you know practical thing that you know might not be. Uh, uh, the 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 most phenomenal visionary thing that ends up sort of locking it in, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, I, of course, you just always relate it to your personal life, but I can't imagine what life would be like in my house now if we didn't have a DVR, 
you know, and mm-hmm. the idea of recording, you know, shows has been around forever. But, you know, when you took the what technology had to offer and coupled it with that idea, you really started to do something significant that impacts my family in their daily life. And, you know, again, when you really succeed and you're like, I can't go without it, you know, that's when you know you've, you've made an impact. And so, you know, I, you know, and those aren't, you know, that the idea of a DVR was not earth shattering. Now, nobody had ever had it before, but the idea that you could, you know, record things and get back to them and all that sort of stuff, you know, probably didn't, you know, to, to many when it came out, it was probably like, oh, well, yeah, that, you know, but it really is impactful and it's widespread in the, what it does. So anyway, right. I, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Let's. I want to. I want to bounce around a couple more sort of ideas that have flown out in various ways and manners. So, if we look over the last year, uh, we have seen a number of governments around the world toppled. Uh, the political landscape in the U.S. has changed dramatically, in large part where individuals become the media. Mm-hmm. Um, as that accelerates as a trend, how do you see that playing out? Maybe in in the in the Kansas City area, where we're basically um, you know, individuals can create their own media. I mean, this 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 whole um, radio talk show, which has just been something yep. that has been removed. You know, there are thousands of people that do what I do. You know, get online and and make news. Yeah, how do you see that, well, that kind of thing yeah. impacting Kansas City? I think it's I think it's, it's going to be an amazingly positive impact. As I said before, you know, the the level of dialogue um, and knowledge of what's going on locally you know, I think is crying out for a method to be shared. And so I think that, you know, this is a unique opportunity for us to really start to see it take off. And you're right. If you take a look at sort of what's going on in a, in a couple of countries around the world, it's clear that social access to technology um, played a role. And uh, so I see that in um, it's a very positive thing, and it's exciting to me. And, you know, I think it's going to cause government to have to be much more dynamic in the way that we're interacting, too. We need to be a part of that um, in um, that dialogue. But I think it's a, it's a fascinating and, and fun opportunity. And uh, I think what's important about it for a city like mine is, is that deployment is widespread enough that we get the rich diversity of our community by way of age, race, ec- economic that all of those voices need to be sharing and being participating in this. And that's what's real. I mean, that's when you start to really, um, when it gets really interesting in my mind. I, um, so, uh, could, because that's the kind of thing that hasn't quite completely happened yet, you know? Right. So, the, for, you know, a group of seniors in one of our senior um, housing complexes interacting with young people that are in high school, interacting with, you know, those that are coming from an economically distressed um, background, you know, mashing all that together uh, really, I think, provides um, some exciting opportunities um, for deeper learning and for community building in a mm-hmm. very positive way. So I have an economic development question. We've got about five yeah. minutes or so. Um, over this past weekend in both Chattanooga and Kansas City, there were these events which basically brought together a bunch of entrepreneurs with ideas and maybe some starting code or starting prototype uh, and brought those folks together with financial people, marketing people, management folks in a setting 
where for 48 hours all they did was try to move from idea to finished prototype. Now, 48-hour yeah. launch, which is Chattanooga's project, is, is, is decidedly different than Startup Weekend, but the concept is the same. You bring these people together. You allow them to collaborate. At the end of 48 hours, you have people that are closer to being fundable, at least with seed money, than they were at the start of the process. Do you think this kind of you know startup turnout is going to become a, like a wave of the future? Could you see doing this on a regular basis in Kansas City? Well, I will tell you it was very exciting. I uh, stopped by on Saturday to the event here in Kansas City, and uh, uh, Mayor James was there with me too, and we just found it to be fascinating and very exciting. And there's a ton of energy, and um, I absolutely think it's a great concept in that I think it, you could see that starting to happen in, on a more frequent basis and regularly. And, uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, just the idea, I mean, quite frankly, just the idea of getting passionate people that want to try to to have a go at a business and and really sort of out there trying to figure out where the opportunity is and then collectively putting their minds against it, it it's it's just uh, it's a phenomenal um, it's a phenomenal enterprise. I I I'd uh, really enjoyed it and I think that there's a huge upside to it. Um, and uh, there was a range of ages at the one here in Kansas City and uh, there was a lot of uh, energy and excitement. And uh, I think that that's, that kind of thing done over and over again does lead to real opportunities for businesses to grow. And by the way, I mean, I think if you look at the Google Fiber project, um, it seems to me realistically that uh, there's a huge upside to small business and innovators um, coming to Kansas City or in Kansas City today and having access to um, data speeds that uh, at, a, at an affordable rate that they otherwise would not have access to and, quite frankly, could stand in a barrier, a data barrier to um, the innovation that they want to bring to the table. So I think there's a huge um, small business upside to this, both for us, Chattanooga included, um, that we want to make sure that we fully exploit in a positive way here. Uh, and uh, I think the other part of the project that is equally exciting is the opportunities around uh, learning for our young people and uh, you know, in the Kansas City, Kansas public schools, um, children, when they walk into high school, um, regardless of where they come from or how much money they have, um, all of them get a uh, laptop um, for their high school career. And uh, when that was started in 2007 here in Kansas City, um, it was kind of controversial. There were a lot of people that said, do you really need to spend money on laptops for kids to learn what they need to learn in high school? If you fast forward to today, Craig, those same people that had that question, many of them would say, okay, I get it. That was very important. The idea of technology being fundamental to learning is almost a given today. Mm-hmm. In the same way that I think as you see fiber to the home, gigaspeed um, deployment occur, we're going to start to see that the idea of ultra-fast connectivity becomes fundamental to young people being able to compete um, in the world as we know it today and going forward. And so there's huge upside um, in learning and education in this, too, that we're excited about here in Kansas City. Gotcha. All right, we got one minute. So what's yeah. your last bit of advice to your fellow mayors that are on the brink? You know, do you go forward? Do you not? What do you, what do you tell them in a minute? Find the right – go out there and actively find the right private partner. And and if if you believe in it, you got to own it. Um, go out there and, and – Engage your community um, in this dialogue. They can become your best advocates, and that, I think, ultimately leads to opportunity. Great. 
Well, that was even under a minute. Holy moly. Uh, thank you very, very much, Mayor Reardon. This has been a very uh, insightful conversation. And Thanks, Craig. It, it allows our folks to get a real glimpse of what's going on because Kansas City is big news right now, and I think that it's a good thing for the city and for the region. And ultimately, you know, hopefully it will become a testbed uh, of learning along with Chattanooga and some of the other cities uh, for the rest of the country and move broadband to a higher place here. We'll see you in Kansas City, Craig. I've enjoyed talking to you today, and we'd welcome anyone to come here to enjoy both the Kansas Cities and chat with us about what's going on with Google Fiber. It's been an exciting conversation with you. Sounds good, and I'll see you in December. I'll be there for the uh, Leadership Summit. It's going to be great. All right. Thank you very much to our audience for uh, listening in today. I also want to thank our media partners, GigaOM, Broadband Communities Magazine, MuniWireless.com, and Community Broadband Networks. Thank you very much. Have a great day, and we'll see you next show.